Have you ever felt so exhausted that you felt like you really couldn't go on? You know, if you're a parent of a young child or a parent of a special needs child, you know what that feels like. If you're a CPA at tax time, maybe you know what that feels like. If you've gone to camp with junior high students for a week, you know what that feels like. You know, in this section of Luke's gospel, he is talking about how Jesus has been surrounded by crowds and he's been healing and teaching and everywhere he goes, there's a crush of people around him and he's exhausted, but Jesus moves on um, and continues to meet people. I want us to think together today about a story in Luke's gospel, the eighth chapter, and beginning with verse 40, here's the story. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, uh, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. And coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fall to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This particular story in Luke's gospel captured the attention of the early church. Over the generations, a large tradition began to grow up around this particular story, including uh, guessing the name of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. In the Greek church, they called her Bernice. In the Latin church, it was Veronica. Eusebius says that she was a Gentile from Caesarea Philippi and that when she returned home after her healing, she put up a statue of Jesus in her front yard. All these things amount to interesting speculation, but none of them are verifiable. They do, however, point out, that the, this, the, point out the hold that this story had on the early church. And what we really have here is a miracle within a miracle. In all three accounts of this story, in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel, this miracle takes place within the context of Jesus raising uh, Jairus' daughter back to life. Now, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, you know how narrow uh, the streets can be in some of these old cities. Uh, the scene must have been chaotic. That's all we can kind of picture, chaotic, confusing. Here's Jairus on one side of Jesus tugging at his sleeve. Come on, hurry, Lord, my, my daughter is dying and uh, the disciples who are kind of moving like a wave of bodyguards for a celebrity, you know, and hundreds of eager people just pushing and shoving, milling around, stretching out their arms to touch Jesus as he passes by. Meanwhile, totally unnoticed, a frail, stooped over, sickly woman pushes her way through the crowd. Her face is partially covered so that no one will recognize her 
her arms are thin, her hands shake as she stretches them out toward Jesus. She's only a few feet away from him. And now Jesus is passing right by her. No one notices as she reaches out to touch the blue and white tassel on the corner of his cloak. Now, the Bible is not very specific about her problem. The translators handle it in different ways. The King James Version says she has an issue of blood uh, for 12 years. The modern translations speak about a hemorrhage of blood. Most commentators agree that it was some kind of chronic condition that involved bleeding, whether peri- periodic or continual. It, was, it wasn't normal, and in those days, there didn't seem to be a cure for her condition. In Mark's version of this story, one detail is included that Luke omits. In Mark chapter 5, verse 26, it said, the woman had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, and she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Now, why do you think that Luke might have left out that detail? Maybe because he was a physician, And he didn't want to make his own profession look bad. We're not sure, but this verse doesn't imply that the doctors back then were all quacks. What it means is that they simply didn't have any effective treatments for whatever chronic hemorrhaging this woman was afflicted with. And as a matter of fact, the Talmud lists several cures for this kind of problem that doctors probably were using. One, drinking a goblet of wine containing a powder composed of rubber, alum and garden crocuses. How about that for a cure? Number two, eating Persian onions cooked in wine, administered with the words, arise out of, you, out of your flow of blood. And then third, carrying the ash of an ostrich egg in a certain kind of cloth. And we look at all of those and say with cures like that, it's no wonder this woman wasn't getting any better. It's also no surprise that she had been to many doctors and had spent all her money. The Mishnah, which is the Jewish oral commentary on the law, contains this frank opinion on doctors by a person known as Rabbi Judah. He refers to doctors as donkey drivers, wicked camel drivers, and people destined for hell. My apologies to any doctors who may be in our audience today. Those are not my sentiments. Those are Rabbi Judas many, many, many generations ago. But the point is this, that doctors simply could not help her. For 12 years she had suffered. Her prognosis was grim. Without a miracle, there was no hope for her. But that wasn't the worst of it. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapter 15, there are certain regulations for women with an uncontrollable flow of blood. The passage says that such women are to be considered unclean, defiled, as long as that flow of blood continues. Furthermore, anyone who touches such a woman would themselves become unclean and defiled. And in a practical sense, that meant that this poor woman had become an outcast in her own community. G. Campbell Morgan describes her situation like this. He says, by the law of Moses, this woman was not allowed to even touch another human being. Think of that isolation. She was not allowed to touch another human being. No human being was allowed to touch her. The law demanded that a woman suffering in this way had to be segregated. For 12 years, this woman had been excommunicated from the temple and from the synagogue, from every religious place of assembly, 
She, had, she was divorced from her husband. She was shut out from her family. She was ostracized by society. She was treated as a pariah. She had endured an incurable illness, social isolation, constant pain, financial poverty, and personal humiliation. It's hard to imagine a more pitiful situation. In the words of one writer, she had been among the living dead for 12 long years. And now at last, she hears that Jesus is coming to her village. When Jesus shows up, the word spreads like wildfire. He's here. Who's here? Jesus, that man from Nazareth who heals the sick. He just came to town and Jairus is uh, talking to him. With that, the poor woman makes the decision that somehow, some way, she must get through to Jesus. If only she can just touch him. She did not speak to him because she would be embarrassed and ashamed of her condition. And after 12 years of public humiliation, she wouldn't risk exposure and taunts of the crowd again. So she thought if she could just simply touch Jesus, she would receive his healing and then she could slip away unnoticed. And after so many years, she, she's just used to coping with life this way. And now she tries to reach out and touch him. The older translations say that she touched the hem of his garment. The Greek word probably refers to one of the tassels, one of four tassels that Jewish men wore on their outer garment. In the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 15, it specifies that tassels must be sewn on the four corners of the outer cloak and that each one contains a blue thread. The tassel was a visual reminder of God's commandments. No matter the design of the cloak, at least one of the tassels would always hang from the back of, that, of the wearer. Uh, and it was that tassel that we suspect that was the one she touched as Jesus walked by. Well, the text is very clear on what happened next. She touched the tassel. She was immediately healed. The text even specifies that at the moment she touched the tassel, the bleeding stopped. It was a major miracle. Jesus is going kind of the other direction. Jairus is tugging him and talking to him and crying all at the same time, getting, trying to get Jesus to his house. Meanwhile, the crowd is so tightly packed in this narrow alleyway that a person could hardly breathe, much less move. And the disciples are trying to do this crowd control thing, but they are swept along with the flow of the crowd. And no one sees this poor woman off to the side. No one notices her. She kind of elbows her way to the center. No one's paying attention as she reaches out her hand. And no one speaks to her, and she speaks to no one. But here comes Jesus, and as she passes by, her hand brushes his tassel, and something like an electrical shock uh, moves through her fingers and her hand and her arm and every part of her body and it's not really an electrical shock, it's an infusion of mighty power with which she's not familiar. And in less time than it takes you to, me to tell you this story, her weary arteries and shrunken veins and diseased organs and withered muscles and shattered nerves are filled with new life and health and strength and the disastrous decay of 12 years is instantly halted. It's reversed. She is well again, she's healthy, she's whole. She turns to go, but she's not ungrateful, not at all, but she is fearful that she might call attention to herself, and she really wanted to respect the greater work that Jesus had yet to do. She must not bother him. With a smile on her face, the first smile in a long time, she turns to go home, but it's just at that moment that Jesus stops, and he surveys the crowd, and he says, who touched me? 
Now it seems to Peter and the other disciples like that's really an absurd question. Hundreds of people are milling around and, 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 and you want to know who touched you? Everybody's touching you. So many people were crowding around Jesus. It could have been anyone besides what difference does it make? A touch is a touch. But that's not true. In the Gospels, there are three kinds of touches. First, there is the touch of hostility, the kind we see in the religious leaders when they beat Jesus before his trial and death. Secondly, there is the touch of curiosity. That's the touch of the crowd that's milling around, just kind of wanting to be close to Jesus and trying to figure out who Jesus is. And then there's the touch of faith. And that's the touch of this poor woman. If the disciples couldn't tell the difference, it didn't matter because Jesus could tell. He knew that someone had touched him in faith and he felt that faith passing uh, through him at the brush of her fingers on his tassel. Now please note that Jesus didn't ask the question for his own benefit. He knew before... uh, he turned around who had touched him. After all, he's the son of God. He asked not for his sake, but for the sake of this woman and for the sake of the crowd. He asked, who touched me for this woman's sake so that he could raise her level of faith? If she went away, you know, without some word from Jesus, she might actually think that there was some magical power in his clothing, and he wanted to assure her that it was her faith in him that made the difference. Furthermore, Jesus wanted her to know that that healing would be permanent, and finally, he wanted to establish a personal relationship with her, and for all those things to be accomplished, she needed to identify herself, both to Jesus and to the crowd. He also asked, who touched me for the sake of the crowd, so that Jairus would know what Jesus was capable of doing, so that the curious onlookers would see his power fully displayed, and perhaps most important, he wanted the crowd to know that he wasn't ashamed to touch an untouchable person. You see, this woman had taken a real chance by touching Jesus. According to the law, her touch could make Jesus unclean. But because he's the Son of God... His power of healing overcame her uncleanness. And she didn't know that when she touched him. But she took a chance. Here's a crucial point. Our Lord Jesus was not ashamed to be touched by an untouchable person. He was not embarrassed to be publicly identified with the outcast of this community. He was at home with publicans and sinners. He ate supper with gluttons and drunkards. He welcomed the prostitutes. He touched the lepers. And in this story, he is not ashamed to be touched by an unclean person. In fact, I think he was delighted and glad to identify himself with her. Delighted that she had the courage to reach out and glad that he could heal her. And he didn't care who knew it. Maybe that's not strong enough. He wanted the whole crowd to know what he had done. Why is that so important? Because with our Lord, there are no untouchable people in this world. In Jesus' eyes, everyone is touchable. Thank God that there are no hopeless cases with Jesus. Our story is coming toward an end. But when Jesus asked who touched me, the woman knows that he's talking about her. And Luke says that she came trembling and she fell at Jesus' feet. She publicly declared what Jesus had done for her and how she had been instantly healed. And I can imagine the crowd around them start clapping and cheering 
And Jairus is saying, hey, that's all good, but hey, come on, Jesus, my little girl needs you. But before they go on, Jesus looks at this woman and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, the word daughter here is kind of an unusual word. It's the only time in the Gospels that uh, they record Jesus using this particular word. It's a term of, of endearment, a term of affection, something like maiden or little girl or in maybe our modern language, sweetheart. Then Jesus said, go in peace, literally go into peace, meaning go from this place and walk in good health. You are healed physically and spiritually. Now, before I wrap up this message, let me focus on two enduring pictures that remain from this story, and they are images of Jesus uh, and this woman that I think encourage us in our walk with Christ. First of all is the sensitivity of Jesus. The most sensitive person in all of history is Jesus Christ. No one ever cared about people like he did. No one ever gave of himself like he did. No one ever felt the pain of others like Jesus. And as he walked down a crowded street, hundreds of hands reached out to him, and yet he felt the thin, sickly hand of faith. He felt it. He felt her touch, and he stopped, and he turned, and he spoke to her, and he was not offended. He wasn't angry at her, nor was he too busy or too exhausted, too tired to to bother with her. Now think about that. He whom all the forces of hell could not stop was diverted by the touch of one sickly hand. This woman did by her touch what Satan himself could not do, stop Jesus in his tracks. And and he spoke to her as if she was the only person in the crowd. When he turned to her, it was just just her and Jesus. No one else even mattered. Why is that important? Because Jesus loves each of us as if we are the only person in the universe to love. He hears us when we pray as if we're the only person in the universe speaking to him. He attends to our needs as if we're the only person with a need in the whole world. That's our Christ. And all that touches you today, please know that it touches Jesus' heart as well. If it's pain that you're experiencing today, then Jesus feels that pain. If it's sorrow, he knows your sorrow. If it's rejection, he feels that rejection. If it's loss, he feels your loss. If it's you're feeling like a bit of a failure today, he feels that failure as well. Whatever it is that's hurting you, know that Jesus feels that. He touches you, and it t- whatever touches you touches him. And that's what the writer to Hebrews meant when he said, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do. We do not have a stoic Christ, nor do we have a preoccupied Christ who's busy on his phone while we're, you know, saying, hey, hey, this is my need. He notices our problem. He's he's not unemotional and running the universe like some high-powered businessman. He is the sensitive Jesus who the hymn writer described as the one who feels our deepest need. But secondly, this story also shows us the power of simple faith. 
This woman didn't have a huge amount of faith, and what she had was partially misdirected, but she had a small, simple faith, and though it moved, uh, and through it, God moved a mountain of illness. The story means that we don't have to agonize over some correct way to come to God. We don't have to worry about crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. We don't have to know all about the Bible before we can come to God, or we don't have to have a degree in theology. We don't even have to be a member of a church. All those things are good, but they're not the main thing. If we come to Jesus, we come in simple faith. Even though our faith might be as feeble as this woman's faith, God will never turn us away. Do you ever feel sometimes like the problems you're going through keep you from coming closer to God? Do you ever feel like maybe you're dirty or unclean and Jesus might not really want to have anything to do with you right now? You know, we need not despair because Jesus is never offended by the problems that we're going through, by what we're feeling and thinking and about ourselves. He's seen it all before, and he will never turn any of us away. How simple it is to come to Christ. It only, it's only a touch, and this woman is healed. Not something she did, not by her promises to, do, to live life better. She didn't offer to do something for Jesus if he would do something for her. There were no deals here. She just reached out a hand, and in an instant she was healed. It's not a long process. It happens so fast. We can't call it anything else but a miracle. And that's what simple faith can do. Coming to Christ isn't difficult. The hardest part is reaching out our hand of faith. If we want to, the touch of Jesus, all we have to do is reach out to him. I've had people ask me, how can I become a believer, a Christ follower, a Christian? The answer is pretty simple. The most important thing I can say to you is that being a Christian means, in, means having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do we get to know Jesus personally? Well, there first of all must be a desire in our heart. And in order to have a personal relationship with Christ, we have to trust him as our savior. The most important thing to know about Jesus is that he died on the cross for our sins. That is, he died on the cross over 2,000 years ago and he took our place as a substitute. And by his death, he paid the price for all of our, our sin. And that's a lot to think about, I know, and you don't have to fully understand it all, you just have to believe it. And that's what trusting means. It's believing in your heart that something is true. Trusting Jesus means staking your life on the fact that he died on the cross, that he really did pay the price for our sin and really did take our place. And if you believe that, you're ready to invite Jesus into your life and be a Christ follower. This morning I want to give you just a simple prayer that you can pray if you want to. It's, the prayer is not magic. Uh, you should only pray it if, it if it expresses your real feelings of your heart. And if it does, I invite you to pray this in your own mind and heart along uh, with me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking all my sin away. I believe you are the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I gladly take you as my Savior. Come into my life and make me a Christian. Please help me to live a life that will be pleasing to you. And thank you for hearing this prayer. See, that's the power of simple faith. When it's directed toward the right object, you don't have to have a strong faith. You only have to have a weak faith that's resting on a strong object. 
And who could be stronger than Jesus Christ? It's really pretty simple to come to, to Jesus. Just a touch, that's all it takes. And if you have the strength to stretch out your hand to him, his mighty power will always flow into your life. Thanks be to God.